It's that we're producing way too much carbon for the planet to absorb to the tune of 51 billion tons a year. We need to cut that in half by 2030. We need to completely stop doing that by 2050. And in order to do that, we need to change every aspect of our lives. And I thought, right, that is a problem that I could get involved in. That's, yeah. um, that, that kind of major change that we're going to see, anyone who's involved in that major change will, um, you know, will create a huge amount of value in the world. And I thought that's, that's a really good thesis actually for, you know, for, for an investment fund. Hey guys, welcome back to the Backstuff Show. This week, I am really excited to have on Pete Denny. He is the founder of Climate VC. They're investing in things that are going to change the world. It's super insightful, this episode. We learned so much about why we need to change the world and the kind of startups that are changing it and some of his great experiences, some of the startups he's working with right now. It's a really great show and I really hope you enjoy it. When someone said to me, when someone first came out to me, they said, uh, Alex Dunstan, who's been on the show, and he said, you should speak to Pete. He's starting a, a climate fund. Yep. My first instinct was, first of all, what the fuck is that climate fund? Second of all, what kind of business is going after that? And third of all, why is he doing this? Is it, in, yeah, because if you're doing something altruistically, then would you start a grant-based system? But if you're doing it as a fund, you must be looking to get a return. So it's an interesting, it's an interesting space. So the whole thing was fascinating to me. And that's why I want to talk about it. Because there's a lot of people who want to make a genuine impact with startups, but don't know if that's even possible because I don't know if they can raise money for it. Mm. So start at the very beginning. So what what made you get into this game? So I'm I'm there's lots of people in the world who are who care about climate. And there's I think there's two camps. There's there's people who've been doing this for 20, 30 years and they've been saying to the whole world, we need to change everything about the way that we live our lives. And then there's people like me, the newly converted, right? So I'm, I'm the one who's been listening to what uh, David Attenborough and Greta Thunberg have been saying for a few years um, and slowly starting to be converted. And then through my consulting background, I worked on a, on a couple of climate projects that brought kind of deforestation and its related effects right up front and center in my mind. And that's when I thought, oh, shit. We're doomed, right? We're we're robo boned. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I feel like I need to do something about it. Yeah. Um, so we. How bad? So how bad was it? I mean, what was it? What was the? What were the numbers that? Like, what was it that actually hit you in the face that made you really feel that? It was. So we we were working on um, on trying to find what the hidden sources of deforestation were, and as I was doing that, I thought, should I should I create a rainforest? Like, can you go to West Africa, uh, where the, where there's a you know the Sahara Desert? And create a rainforest there. And I spent, you know, a few weeks like doing sums on the back of a fag packet and I realized you can do this actually. The technology exists. You can bring water there. You can desalinate uh, seawater. Um, there's people who study what effects that will have on the local community. You can plant trees, yada, yada, yada. And after 30 years, you would have, um, you know, a, enough enough acreage to sequester, you know, um, a gigaton of carbon. How much, so just help me understand, because I'm a moron. So a gigaton of carbon, like how many tons of carbon is that produced every year? And how long is a gigaton for? Like, I need to, I don't understand what this means. Okay, right. So a gigaton um, is a billion tons of, of CO2. And a good kind of way of getting your head around what that means is if you live in London and you have like a standard, typical London lifestyle, you've probably got about a 10 megaton, a 10 ton scale impact yourself so, you so, so i so i personally i i i live a very regular life but so i generate 10 tons of carbon a year yes me personally yeah you personally okay and and if you you know and so there's a lot of us on on this planet you know almost, yeah. almost eight billion that's kind of 
almost doubled in my lifetime. So, you know, the, the population growth is going up. We're all producing carbon. In the West, we produce way more carbon than they do um, anywhere else. We're producing like the the lion's share of, uh, of carbon in the world. And we're producing more carbon than the Earth can um can pull back uh, into the into the soil into the seas and the deficit there the the not the deficit the surplus that we're producing is 51 gigatons so 51 billion tons more than we should be producing we're producing every year 51 billion tons more than we should be producing 51 gigatons so i was this this exercise i did was how how would you pull um a gigaton back down and i i calculated what would it take to to make um a million square ton, a million square kilometer uh, space of, of forest in the desert. And I realized that you could do that. And it would take, you know, it would take maybe 30 years to get there. And the thing that did this for me, so your question was like, what, what was it that, what, what numbers were, was it that brought this all um, um, to life for you? And it's that I realized I could devote myself to, for 30 years to making this forest, but we're cutting down that amount of forest all the time anyway. Um, in- so how how often do we lose just a million kilometers square kilometers? You said is that was thousand? That, sorry, it was it was a thousand square sorry, a thousand square kilometers. kilometers. So how often do we lose a thousand square kilometers? And for so help me understand, is that is that like the size of like I don't know, like a small county in the UK? It's it's something like a, a football pitch every second, right? Fuck yeah, yeah. Hell. So it's it's a lot. It's a lot. So you start to look at. So we we were looking at who, so who's doing this and why are they doing it? Yeah. Let's just go and stop doing that, right? So it's that, that, that's a simple question. Um, who's funding it? And so we, we built this kind of um, technology that could find the hidden sources of funding. But when you look at why people are funding it, it starts to become more and more complex quite quickly. Um, so why are people doing, why are people cutting down rainforest? Well, it's to make space to, to grow cattle on, or it's to make space to grow soy, to feed to cattle so that we can sell those, those cattle um, to e.g. McDonald's. Um, or it's to make palm oil to to put in our chocolates, um, and so you start to you start to follow this stuff upstream, and quite quickly you get into um, human behavior. Why do we eat what we eat? Why do we build houses in the way that we build houses? Why do we move around so much? And and you start to realize fundamentally, almost everything about the way we live our lives needs to change if we want to get from emitting fifty one billion tons every year too much to emitting the right amount so we need to remove 51 billion tons of emissions from our from our lives um every year and we need to do that by 2050 those are the kinds of numbers um and on that journey what we've calculated is um we need to halve what we're doing by 2030 and this is really the decade that counts right so the 2020s is the decade that counts so if we kind of summarize everything that i've said so far it's that we're producing way too much carbon for the planet to absorb to the tune of 51 billion tons a year we need to cut that in half by 2030 we need to completely stop doing that by 2050 and in order to do that we need to change every aspect of our lives and i thought right that is a problem that i can get involved in that um that that kind of major change that we're going to see anyone who's involved in that major change will um you know will create a huge amount of value in the world and i thought that's that's a really good thesis actually for you know for for an investment fund i love that and do you so look being devil's advocate here do you think so ultimately the, the benefit the aim of a fund is to make money right okay so you make you return for your investors is that fair it's to create value which i think is is a more subtle thing than, love than make money okay so so when so for you so you 
the, the thesis of the fund that you're creating is they have to have a, an impact on the climate. Yes. Yeah. And we, we've, we've defined quite specifically what, what that means. So we, we think, I heard, I heard somebody say at a conference a while ago, if, you, if you're going to try and devote your life to fighting climate change, you want really to, to look at having a one gigaton scale impact yourself. Right, so that, that's a big number, right? So all of humanity is producing 51 gigatons too many. I want to do one. You I want to help out with you, one. So you've got to add 2% of all of that. You yeah. want to handle it. Yeah, that's That's, that's punchy. I so that, that. that's what we want our fund to do. Um, and in order to do that, we, we think um, a lot of startups, so we're going to invest in a lot of startups, right? We're going to try and help a lot of startups go from zero to one. And we're looking for startups who are trying to have minimum 10, a 10 megaton scale impact every year. Right. So if you if you find a start if you if you invest in a whole bunch of startups and ten of them make it to the scale that they want to get to, and they have a 10 megaton scale impact every year for 10 years, then that is 10 by 10 by 10. A gigaton. So that's our that's our crazy dream. It's not a crazy dream, mate. It's a good dream. Don't call yourself crazy. That's awesome. I respect that a lot. I like okay. myself crazy. Ah, nice. <laughs> the um I think there's I mean so I love I love the ambition of it and it's so important. So I guess there's that thing, isn't there, as well, that if you... I'm such a huge fan of startups because startups change the world. So everything that we do now that is different to what our parents were doing, the way we order food, the way we watch TV, the way we consume content, the way that we exercise, everything is different because of startups. Mm. Yeah, everything, everything changes. So like, yeah, the Uber, Netflix, so forth. Like I said, even with the gym, like um, and home working out and stuff and you get apps and you watch hit workouts and so forth. That's what people do. Pelot- I've got a Peloton. Sound a bit privileged there. Um, sorry. But yeah, but like, <laughs> but you had that. All of that is because of a startup. That's what happens. And so if you're going to make macro change long-term, I personally believe you have to start with the startups in order to do those things. So I think what you're doing is is super smart. So what kind of startups are you seeing? I'm really into this, you know, like, I mean, I'm, I've got literally no idea how to do anything like this. My startup's the simplest thing of all time. I don't have a big enough brain to do this, but what kind of stuff are you seeing? Are you seeing something you just don't understand or is it really like just basic stuff? There's, there's, a, there's a mix of those two things. Um, I think if somebody wants to get like an overview of what the problem space is, so why are we, why are we generating all of this carbon? Um, Bill Gates has written a really good overview of of the problem space, and he he says there are there are a number of areas. So it's it's how we grow food, it's um it's how we build things out of co- out of concrete and steel, it's how we move around, it's how we generate electricity, and it's how we make things like the clothes that we wear and so on. And so that that's that's a really good you know set of categories for us to go and look look at. So we did, and and in each of those in each of those sectors, you'll see that. Um, there's a percentage of the problem, you know, so, so agriculture, this is a surprise to me. Agriculture is 19% of the, of the problem. Growing food is actually bad for the environment. Wow. <laughs> Isn't that counterintuitive? Yeah. Um, so 19% of our, of our emissions, of our surplus emissions uh, come from, from agriculture. Why is that? So you start to look at the way that agriculture is practiced, like one of the oldest things that we do. And you realize um, all of that's completely wrong. If you go back Hundred thousand years, the way we practiced agriculture was, it was really symbiotic. You know, we live, we lived off the land. The, the the practice of growing food, consuming food, pooping out food, that was really good for the for the for the ecosystem. Yeah, it was circular. The way that we do it now is this is this bananas way of um, we treat soil as though it's. Um, let's just do a quick deep dive on on this one area. There's so many areas. To talk I'd love about, to. But, yeah. Um, we we treat soil as though it's kind of just like a medium for us to grow things in like sand where we need to strip out everything that's in it using weed killer, using fungicide, etc. And then we go back and we 
we put in fertilizer. And so those two things, killing what's already there and then adding stuff back in, both of that costs money for farmers. And it also means that the quality of what's in the soil is really low. So it's less profitable than it should be. And it's it's less healthy than it should be. And it's really, really bad for the environment, right? So those are three things that, that are kind of wrong with, with agriculture. To pause you on that, then why are they doing it? Surely it must be increasing yield, otherwise they wouldn't be doing it. It does increase yield. Um, right. It's it's quite an interesting story, actually. Uh, there's a, a great documentary about this called Kiss the Ground um, on Netflix. Um, and they, they tell the story, which I don't think they tell very very fairly in the um, in the documentary about this this one guy who invented both weed killer and fertilizer. Right, it's an he's an amazing guy, right? He's That's quite quite a complex, interesting character. Um, but the the idea is we the the human population is growing like exponentially. As I said at the beginning, it's it's doubled in my lifetime from four mm. billion to eight billion. Um, and the the act of growing food and shipping it to where it needs to be consumed is not kind of evenly distributed. The world can produce enough food, but it can't produce enough food in the places that we that we live. Um, and so how do you boost yield? You boost yield by by mechanizing it, uh, by growing chickens in, in battery farms, by uh, inventing the combine harvester and making it so that you can just run up and down rows. And if, if, you're, if you're doing that, if you, the difference in your home garden and agriculture practice that scale is, is that um, you, you don't want people going out into the fields and picking, picking weeds. That's so expensive. You know, if you've just got acres, like thousands of kilometers, square kilometers of land, and you're paying people to go and pick weeds out of the ground. Um, that's so expensive. It's much cheaper just to fly over it in a plane and uh, and spray weed killer on it. When you spray weed killer on it, you're killing all of the microbes in the soil, which fertilize the, the plants. So you've then got to go back and put all of the fertilizer back in. So now, you know, after 200 years of, or whatever it is, of mechanized farming, there are boffins in the world who are looking at that thinking, I think we can do better yeah. than this. Okay, so technology's moved on so much, hasn't it? So... Now there are a lot of um, startups springing up who are addressing this problem based on the fact that we've been practicing agriculture in a way which is, you know, maybe a hundred years old. Let's do it in a way which is modern. And so those that, you know, that that's one type of startup that we're looking at, which is super interesting. So that's one type. What are the other stuff you're looking at? Um, Tell me something. What's like? What's the one that at the moment, which you probably don't give the name of the company because we don't want them to become too popular. But what's like? <laughs> what's like the one that's getting you like really excited? So this, in in this in this range of companies that we're looking at, there there are some that seem more kind of um, a no brainer than others. Um, then at the other end of the scale, there's there's companies that you think that's a wild idea, but if they pull it off, it could have a huge impact on the world. And in in that category. There's um there's a company who yeah I won't mention the name of them but they're you can work it out <laughs> um they're they're an OTEC business so OTEC is ocean thermal energy conversion ocean thermal energy energy conversion conversion yeah okay so they take the heat from the ocean and turn it into energy yeah exactly Bye. exactly yeah such a simple idea um it's it's an idea actually from from the 60s so if if you go to a hot country the surface temperature of the water is about 24 degrees. If you go down a bit, then the, then the, the, the water at depth will be about, about four degrees. And you can use that temperature differential to spin a turbine. That's the, that's the basic idea. Oh, I see. That makes perfect sense because it's constantly rotating. Because Okay, that makes sense. Okay. Yeah. So, so they use that to, to just to spin a turbine. So they just chuck a pole down into the, into the ocean. They put a turbine on it and then that powers it 
dynamo, which makes some electricity. Yeah, yeah, that's a, that's essentially it. Yeah. Um, so that's um, that's ideal for a number of reasons, right? People haven't done it at scale yet. But Why is that? Inefficient. It's um, so it's about seven. Nowadays, it's about seventy to eighty percent efficient. Back in the day, in the sixties, it was only maybe four or five percent efficient. Right. But you know, technology moves moves on a pace, and I think maybe there's, what is there there's a, and also just for my again stupid brain. When you say something seventy to eighty percent efficient, what does that mean? That means that um, the the amount of energy that you put in versus the amount of energy that you get out. If it's a hundred percent efficient, then um, all all of the all of the so let's say there's there's an amount of energy in this current, yeah, in this current of of um, of hot and cold water. There's an amount of energy in there. How much of that can you extract? Okay, fine, but it's all free energy. Like it's it, all free energy because nature's yeah. making that for me, right? So like wind is a yeah, it's free energy, right? It's 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 free. I mean, there's there's a difference between the installed cost and then the the cost per per kilowatt hour. Isn't okay, so that's where so it you comes don't in. you don't you don't need to buy fuel for it because as you say, this yeah. will just keep running for it. But you need to build the plant. Okay, and so then you amortize the cost of the plant over you know a number of years. So what? Uh, give me an example of something else of equivalency in terms of just. I mean, I'm really getting into this. I'm super fascinated. Give me something, and this is slightly off startups, but I'm interested for context. Give me something an idea of something which is of similar level of efficiency. Ah, uh, now you're expecting me to be an expert in in OTEC. Correct, uh, I am. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm not, but it, it's it's competing against things like diesel i mean that that's what it hopes to oh wow so to, that yeah that's what it hopes to to replace the, the problem is diesel's awesome like fossil fuels are yeah, amazing yeah really good and that's that's why um, not so great for the world but good not for, so great for the world good for powering things who boy they 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 pack so much energy into such mm. a small space that it's difficult to difficult to displace them um and they, they, they've got a very very high level of efficiency plus we've been doing them the world's been running most of its kind of energy energy generation and uh, and vehicles and all of that kind of thing on diesel for you know for decades so we're very very good at it um what 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 the problem is is that if you go to island nations so all the way around the equator and you know in the tropics you've got you've got countries um who are you know island states who generate a lot of their electricity or even most of their electricity from diesel and if you're if you're a country that has to power your nation on diesel, you've got to import that diesel from other countries, yeah, right? So you're kind of, there's yeah. there's kind of a political risk there because you have to import it. You're, the people on those islands are paying four or five or sometimes even seven times more for their electricity. They're already poor countries. They're paying up to seven times more for their electricity. So what these countries want to do is move to more sustainable ways of generating energy. So you immediately think, well, wind and solar are perfect, yeah, because Wind and solar are now cheaper. If you're going to start start from scratch, wind and solar are cheaper ways of generating energy. But they don't have the land for that. They don't have the land. And the land that they have is either rainforest, which they want, we, we want them to keep it as rainforest, or they need it for agriculture. But what they do have is that they've got a massive amount of land, maybe you know, multi, many multiples of, um, of, of square acreage, square meterage of, of, of space in the sea. So it's it's very interesting for them to use the sea to kind of generate profit or food or whatever. Would the um would the uh the, the natural progression though to be put a wind farm in the sea? Would that yeah. be most Yeah, so I mean that that that's still that's still um um an early that's still we're, we're still early on in developing um wind farms that, that work in deep water. Um so that the wind farms that we see around the UK are in shallow water. Right. Um what's attractive about these nations is that it gets it gets deep very quickly. 
Um, so, and and it's it's quite expensive to put in. And wind wind power and solar power only work for certain times of the day, don't they? So oh. what you need is baseload energy that's running day and night for forever. Diesel's really good at that. Nuclear's really good at that. But wind and solar are not very good at that. Um, there are companies trying to solve those problems too. Um, so what OTEC does, because these currents are just running day and night, if you if you were to build a barge and stick it out at sea, a kilometer, a, a kilometer out to sea, it will generate that load day and night for 30 years. Wow. Yeah. Sounds good, mate. I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm sold. Sign me up. Okay. I've got a pond. <laughs> in the current climate, marketing is hard. But do you know what isn't hard? Making sure you never miss an episode of your favourite podcast. So tap the follow button on your podcast and you'll never miss out on the latest episodes of Unicorny or Marketing Difference. You can even go back and listen to our back catalogue of amazing episodes. If you do that, please leave us a review. It would mean so much. Okay, so um, interesting question, one I'm fascinated by. So we get a lot of people come on here who run funds, okay? And, um, you know, I'm an investor myself. And so when I speak to someone, they're like, hey, Tommy, you know, I've got this amazing fund. I'm going to make you a squillion pounds within, you know, two years. And I'm not, <laughs> and, you know, being honest, they, and they say, I say, what's your investment thesis? And they're like, the ones that are going to make the money <laughs> is basically what happens. Mm. Okay, I'm slightly exaggerating, but that's basically what happens, right? You know, people go and they want to get this return. Now, you really interestingly are talking about this new area where it's like we're adding value as well as return. So different types of values, not just monetary return. Talk to me a bit more about that. I'd love to learn more. Mark Carney's written a, a book recently about, um, it's called Values, where the S is in brackets. And um, there's, I mean, he's an interesting guy because, you know, clearly he was governor of the Bank of England. He knew what he's doing. Yeah. Governor of the Bank of Canada yeah. before that, knew what he was doing. Th- is, has thought a lot over his lifetime about what really is money um, and are we doing it right? And uh, there's, there's some really interesting thoughts in um, in his text, which which have kind of baked into my fund. Um, and one of the most interesting ones is um, that money is kind of a, it's a, an oversimplified way of representing what it is that we really value in, in, in the world. And so human beings, we value many things, but we've built this machine, the economy, to optimize for just one of those things, the, the monetary value. So we value education for our kids. We value clean air. Um, we value there to that, that, that there's equ- we value equality. None of those things are really captured in uh, in our economy. We now value right. This is a new thing that we value as as a society. We value there not being too much carbon in the atmosphere. Right. So that's an example of something that we value, which is not not captured in our economy, and therefore our economy is a machine based to optimize things that we, you know, only only one of the things that we value. Um, but we we meet, and so we're we're. We're endeavouring to create a fund which 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 optimises for multiple things, and the two things that we're interested in. The number one thing that we're interested in is is this impact, this ten megatons per uh, ten megatons of CO two per year. We we value that. We also do value a return. So how do we get a, a trade off between those between those two things? Um, we we think that you can you can create a a charity. Or you can create a grant system to, to fund organizations to, to build this stuff. And those those organizations might go on to create great change in the world. But if you instead go and back startups and you want them to try and get that on their own merits, and these startups are going to go and try and create the biggest change that humanity has ever seen, then if if those startups manage to get to a point where they're, they're, they're creating this massive impact, they can't help but create a profit, can they? 
So they're involved in this space where carbon, so you can go and offset your carbon right now for five pounds a ton. Um, that price is going up every year and, and that will, it's going to 100x, um, you know, over the next 10 years. The price of carbon itself, you know, a, a, a ton of carbon is, uh, is currently about $40. That's going to go over to $100 by 2030. Um, so there's, there's all of this, there's all of this change coming. The, the, the way that the world values carbon and carbon offsetting is, is increasing all of the time. There's all of this massive change happening in the world. Anybody who's involved in that, who's running a successful business in that space has to make money. But for us, that, that, that's a, that's the icing on the cake. So we first of all go, go, go for impact in these areas, knowing that the, the results will, will follow. And we've, we, we had to negotiate quite a bit like internally amongst ourselves about which of those messages we put first, because there's a great, there's a lot of investors out there who, for whom, you know, that, that message that you had really resonates. We, we want to three X the fund and we're competing with things that will, that will three X the fund. But we've, we've realized that there's in, there's enough investors in this other space who are saying, we like money and we have a lot of money and we want, we want, we want to make more money. But we're also interested in using that money for something useful in the world because money, money has a use, doesn't it? It's not just for, yeah. It's, it's not just to sit there on our accounts. It's to, it's to create something that, that we feel there's this thing that we've done in the world. And we're, we're very gratified to see that there's, there's enough investors in this second space uh, for us to run quite a successful fund. And those people um, will, you know, they, their money will turn into more money. You know, it's kind of inevitable, but they will have created something that they feel proud about doing. Yeah, no, I love that. It's really interesting what you're saying. And I, I think there's, there's definitely attraction there. The, if you are creating anything, yeah, so either you talk about grants, charities, um, I, the paint, well, not paint, it's just being controversial. Like, I don't think they work to make, um, macro change to to anything and the reason for that is because if we can agree that the best talent make the best companies okay the best talent make the best teams or whatever that's literally that's why people in rugby or whatever hire the best people for their team so and the whether if people just worked they didn't work for money they just worked for reward and for altruism everyone would be a teacher you get better holidays you get better hours you're constantly getting reward yep okay because you're making people you're improving people's lives it's very diverse but teachers you would get probably one good teacher out of a (laughs) hundred yeah because a lot of people like i don't know what else to do i'll become a teacher Mm. okay and that's because they're just not paid very well because ultimately you're like okay same again with being a doctor you can train for god knows how long work horrific hours and get paid less than a graduate recruitment consultant yep it's just not yeah what, what are you going to do so doesn't you have to if you want to attract the best talent you have to have something in there i believe financially because ultimately people will see that and they get the envy they're like oh i want to live in i don't want to live in i don't know brentford i want to live in Hampstead or whatever ultimately it's going to happen so if you start moving into a sector and you start adding financial gain to things so if you're in the sector now and you're like okay it's not working on the grant fund. We've been trying to, we've been throwing money at trying to climate change for decades. Nothing's changing. Mm-hmm. You know, not the scale that we need to. It's getting worse. So I love what you're doing. So you were saying, well, now, why don't we create businesses that will actually make a profit as well as make an impact? You're going to change the world. 
Yeah, because then you're going to attract the best talent because they're going to get paid better salaries. The founders are going to make a return. They're going to maintain that interest. They're not going to have their wives and their kids being like, yeah, it's really good that you're saving the world, but I can't afford school uniform. Yeah, that's not going to happen in the same way that it would uh, if you were doing it grant-based. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And and that's why we look for companies that we think are going to be amazing, self-sustaining businesses. Now, one one of the charities that I really love, which I, I think this is not what we want to do, but one of the charities that I really love is um, Charity Water. Do you know Do you know those guys? I don't. Oh man, that guy um, is a, a master. He he gives like a master class in how to how to raise money. He's such a legend. He used to be a, a nightclub promoter in uh, in New York City. So his whole job was <laughs> to be seen with beautiful women and wear nice watches. It sounds horrible. That, that was his whole job. Sounds like the worst life. I'm really jealous. <laughs> and and he so he decided to take that talent and turn it to let's let's bring clean water to Africa. And it's it's an incredible charity, but every year he has to go out and raise money again. You know, it's it's as though there's no flywheel effect. There's no virtue to having done no val- no economic value to having done it the previous year. He's got to do it again this year. And I love that guy, and I've learned a lot from him. And I you know I wish him well. But but our model is we 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 need to look for businesses that are going to be self sustaining and awesome in their own right. And I think the the kind of the the north star in all of this is is Tesla. You know, and, and I, I think I think Tesla has, sh- has given us a model for what we need to do across lots of industries. Tesla is clearly, you know, very successful. Um, for now. For now. <laughs> okay, well, we can talk about that in a sec. But I, I think, so Chamath Palihapitiya is is an investor in, in Tesla, I yeah. believe. And he, he's done all right. He, he's, he's kind of prompted, that I, I believe it's that that prompted him to say the world's first trillionaire is going to be made in climate change. So that, that, man, that's such a great quote to put in your deck. And that was in our deck, actually. Nice. And I took it out. I took it out because you can lead with that story. You can lead with that story that um, there's a wave here to ride. Um, it's it's a rising tide that's going to float all boats. It's it's going to, if you want to make loads of money, this is a great space to do it, right? This is a market that's growing five times faster than AI ever was. It's going to be incredibly, incredibly profitable. And there are funds out there who are monetizing climate change. And I just think that's gross. <laughs> I I think that clearly needs to be in the mix because of you know because of all yeah. the things that you say. It need money making money needs to be in the mix, but it can't be it can't be the thing that you go out there I agree. To, to do. I agree with you. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's like if you go to the gym, you're just going to the gym to get into to look good. You're not going to train hard enough. Yeah, you've got to have some other goal. You've got to be to get stronger, to get fitter, to be healthier, to live longer. Yeah, and then you'll get those looking good will be a byproduct. Yeah, that's what yeah. it's the same again. So. Yeah. If, yeah, that's the same with raising money, with, with what you're doing. Yeah, money is a byproduct. The core yeah. is we want to change the world. Yeah. Okay. It's uh, an intrinsic versus extrinsic motivation. Isn't oh, it? Extrinsic motivation will, will crowd out whatever intrinsic motivation there is, there is there. But intrinsic motivation is a more powerful force, isn't it? It's a more powerful driver yeah. uh, for things. And, you know, that's, that's, what, that's what prompts missionaries to... Um, you know, to to devote their lives to you know living in sackcloth and ashes in in Africa, yeah, because they've got this drive in there, and so we we see this drive in people all over the place in in um, in founders, in investors, in people who 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 want to help people who've got amazing jobs, but they see what we're doing and they, they want to help out. It's this it's this drive that we're trying to appeal to. I love that. So when we talk about Tesla, so Tesla, what they did really well is they made. Something that everyone was trying to do with EVs, everyone knew electronic vehicles, everyone knew that's something that we needed to go into that space. We needed it to happen um, if we we're going to change the world because cars are such an obvious impact. And what he did was he solved that 
basic problem, which was they couldn't go for long enough. It wasn't a practical option. But then he made it sexy. Okay, I think they're ugly as sin, but they are. <laughs> but it's like it's a good brand. Okay, and it's done really well. And um, generally speaking, just in business, you make something sexy, it's going to sell. Okay, so he did a really good job. How, what impact have you seen that happen to other areas within the sector you're looking after in terms of climate change? Has it affected everything, or is it just? The electronic vehicle space it's i think that that's a model which is going to work in in other spaces and is currently working i believe in in one other space which is alt protein um which cows are like one of the worst things for the planet i love cows right i i i'm a vegan now but i used to really love eating them yeah um, <laughs> i love the way they look you know I, I i wish cows well but they're terrible for the planet especially the way that we uh that we farm them at the moment so if you want to have, you know, so that 19% of global warming is is caused by agriculture, a large part of that is is it comes from livestock, specifically cows. If you can get, I I saw, right, I'm not going to get the figures right on this, but it's something in this ballpark. If Americans ate vegetarian twice a week, that would have the same impact as them all stopping driving. If 60% of Americans ate vegetarian twice a week, it'd be like all of the cars in America. Shit, right, so it has, has such a, a huge impact, yeah. right? So if you can make something that makes people want to eat eat beef less because it's so amazing, then you're then you you're a winner. You're a winner. And so there there are companies out there who are making um, pretty amazing um, meat alternatives. Um, so meat, either meat which is which is made from things like pea protein or or, uh, or gluten or or some other things which don't sound very appetizing when you say them out loud, or they're, they're growing they're growing them in a vat, so they're growing meat cells in a vat. If 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 I take one company that we that we looked at, um, they were in they were in Y Combinator uh, last year, uh, Juicy Marbles. They sent me one of their steaks. Oh. So they, they <laughs> really? This, yeah, they made this filet mignon steak, okay. which is um, you know it's a very expensive steak. Yeah, very much. They they call their company Juicy Marbles because they managed to create this this uh, beef alternative, which is marbled with fat in the way that beef is marbled. Wow. And it's it's a super premium product. Um, you know, I think to, to buy like a whole filet mignon was something like $150. Um, they sent me a slice of that. And I kind of didn't even feel qualified to cook it. It, you know, yeah. it, it was so amazing. And it was very delicious. In the it, it was the texture like meat. The texture was like meat. And you could cook it like meat in, in, in a very versatile way. So you could sear the outside. It could be pink in the middle. Wow. Um, they... They were biophysicists and biochemists, and they put a lot of, of effort into this. Um, I think companies like that, if they can create this this premium product where the taste and the mouthfeel and the texture is very similar to to beef, plus it doesn't have any hormones in it, it doesn't have any cholesterol in it, you know, it has no saturated fat in it, then it's you're starting to arrive at a product which is objectively superior to the thing that you're trying to produce. And that's what Tesla did with cars. They said, here's a very desirable, sexy thing that you want. Now, five years, ten years later, we we get governments are now in a position to say, well, let's not have any more petrol cars. Right? The UK government said, let's not create any new internal combustion engines by 2035. They, you can only have the policy change if the majority of people are willing to accept that policy policy change, and you can only have that if there's something desirable for people to go to. And this is like a whole area of opportunity for for startups to get into. Find something which we need to change, which is hard to change people's opinion on at the moment. Make something sexy in that area. You're um, you're going to make a massive change in the world. I'm totally into that. If you tried to be vegan in 
I did Veganuary in like 2010. Fucking, it's so hard. You can't go anywhere without it in there all the time. Now, everywhere is a, like has vegan options, like genuine vegan options. Like there's no like excuse. Burger King? Well, that's the thing. <laughs> but yeah, so it's made it sexy. But the thing that I thought was really fascinating, and I'd love to get your commentary on it, is that, so I'm in the process now of buying a new car. Okay, so sadly, my Hyundai i10 is breaking um, after many, many happy years together. So I'm buying a new car. I'm going to try and get an electric car. And um, you go you go to the, I went to the VW garage. And again, now look at all the Golfs and stuff like the Golf E. And it's like, it's cool. But then they've got this ID3. And it's like I'm in a fucking spaceship. <laughs> yeah, so like they're now like selling me the dream by making it sexy. Like even the brands want you to move on yeah. to these, these EVs. Yeah. It's so, I mean... It, I think so. Just I'm just confirming your point. Like making it sexy makes all the difference. Yeah, that 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 is interesting. Um, I think so. There's there's another great documentary called Game Changers. I don't know if you've seen. Yeah, that. man. Yeah, man. So I'd I'd love to go and calculate. So it's you know it's a documentary all about plant based athletes, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, high performance plant based athlete uh, athletes, and that's that's the documentary that that made us eventually go to a plant based diet. So we the very next day. After seeing that, we said, "Let's do it. Let's do it. It looks awesome," and um, and so we put something a message on Facebook. We've just bought half a lamb and half a pig. Um, who wants it? Because uh, we're going vegan today. So you know, everyone in our village piled around and took all of this meat away and uh, brought things from there. That's uh, the most northern. Even from the Midlands or north. <laughs> I, I live in the Midlands now. That's I'm, the, I'm northern. The, yeah. That is the most. Like, I mean, anything above like zone four is north for me. <laughs> Like, can you imagine if you put on Facebook in London, yeah, I've got half a pig and half a lamb. Different response. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right. Yeah. So so they, they came and they came and took it away. And I think that the guy who made that documentary um has he's got had a measurable effect on on global warming, hasn't mm-hmm. he? Because yes. there's so many people like me who saw that and thought, I think I can do it. They've made it look They've made it look attractive and doable. They've shown, I don't know if you remember from the documentary, but there was this scene where there were all these American football players sitting around a massive table with this absolute bounty of like chips and burgers and all that. I I thought I can do that. That looks looks amazing. Yeah. Yeah, I'm going to start. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's good. Really good. You've said on your LinkedIn, which I think is magical, Birmingham is the best place in the world to start an AI company. Yeah. Okay. I'm not going to contest that. Yeah, uh, but what I'm going to say is, so you you were in the AI, AI space before. Yeah. Yeah, okay. Talk to me a little bit about that. You've moved away from it now because it's not growing as fast. It wasn't as big as you thought it was going to be. What made you move? Was it just an altruistic move or was it just from a, an interest perspective? At the time, I was devoting my life to AI. And um, I just think climate change is... It was discovering that the scale of the climate change emergency that made me think I need to put down whatever I'm doing right now and do this instead. That's, yeah. that's really what it was. It's not that that wasn't fun. That was incredibly fun and, uh, and quite profitable as well. And, yeah. you know, it, it introduced me to, you know, some really amazing people. So I used, I used to run an AI community up there in the Midlands where we brought all of the universities in the region and, uh, and, and industry together and, uh, ran talks and uh you know ran ran workshops and ran competitions and that kind of thing it was awesome um and it was all about using ai which was this tool that i knew about to make change in the world um but you know as as a techie when you do that kind of thing you're kind of driven by people saying i've got a problem one i want solving um and i'm saying well i've got this tool does my does my tool solve your problem you know you're you're very solutions oriented rather than problem oriented um, and it means that you're kind of just at the behest of whatever the market's 
as soon you're never really becoming an expert in in any in any one thing um, apart from this solution so you know i for me i found i like what i quite like to have a mission in yeah. life you know I, I find i want to get up in the morning and have something that i can i can feel driven by um and so that's why i moved to to this this thing climate change like there's, there's something about that which a it's the biggest problem the world has ever seen the biggest opportunity the world has ever seen but it's just so damn interesting as well you know you if you if you like learning things there's just this huge raft of things in in agriculture in material science in uh, in novel computing you know every day you're learning something new so that that's that's what that's what caused the change but i think ai has probably got is probably going to have um, you know, a, a big impact in in some areas. Well, yeah, because the robots are going to kill us all. <clears throat> yeah, they might do. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's very, I mean, that's, that's very loose. Yeah. So, the, I mean, what's going to what's going to kill camps. us first? What's going to us kill us first? The robots or the rising temperatures? It's not clear who's going to be the winner actually <laughs> of that race, um, because I mean, there the, there are two. Will robots kill us? There are two camps. Are there's the Zuckerberg camp and there's the Musk camp and. Um, I, I think I'm in the Musk camp, which is that we need to be careful about what we're doing here because we are making something which, which all of a sudden, without too much warning, could become way more intelligent than us. Um, and once it's because because the speed of computing and the speed of AI um, is so fast and increases so fast, um, it only needs to be a modicum more intelligent than us to within milliseconds be thousands of times more intelligent than us so that you know that that is that could be a real danger so essentially i believe you know i think lots of people believe this who've worked in this space that we're making we're making a god and we don't know whether it's going to be on our side or not bold statement yeah so i I think this is why it's important for um for people to um like musk and others created the open ai um institute didn't they to kind of create a we learn as humans we learn so much through trial and error don't we um ai learns through trial and error. that the whole thing about um, deep learning is kind of a trial and error way of of working things we don't want it to learn through trial and error that destroying the universe is is the wrong thing to do we mm. want to try and create a sandbox for it to learn that in um, sure. of, of its own accord yeah, yeah i mean like i'm anti destroying the universe so it'd be great if it doesn't happen yeah, <laughs> yeah it's it's you know it's where i live. it's where i keep all my, it's where i keep all of my stuff <laughs> yeah exactly so you've been in the startup game for quite a long time okay and you've had a couple yourself yeah you've, you've been in the game what is something what is one piece of advice that you would give to every single founder when they start out if you look at why most startups fail 40 percent of startups fail because there's no market for what people, for what, for what they're offering. I mean, I'm, I'm sure every one of your guests says this, but we know how to solve that problem, don't we? We know how to test whether there's a market for what we're doing before we do it. <clears throat> and yet most companies fail for that reason. And um, I think if, if a lot of companies are started by tech founders, um, and I'm, you know, I'm a, from a tech background myself, I, I feel that it's, we, we're so much more at home with, with zooming in on the zeros and ones and working on the hard technical problems, that's completely our bag. We feel comfortable doing it. But the other thing where you need to go out into the world and speak to real humans to find out where's, where's there a market, where's there a need that people are willing to pay to have solved, that is so uncomfortable for us. And, and I think that's why people with just a tiny little bit of signal 
will then say, okay, now let's go and build a whole company. Let's raise some money. Let's hire a whole team and build this thing that really, if you look, the signal is not that strong. So I think my advice would be get out of the building, put your laptop down, go out and speak to real people and, and, and test and prove to yourself that there's a, a real um, there's a real need there to be to be solved. One of the best startups I've seen recently um, who, who did this so well is they, they it's a crypto startup and they managed to, to get to their first profit. The founder showed me his first five pound note of profit without writing a single line of code. So he tested the whole hypothesis with a spreadsheet and, uh, and a weekly email. I think that's how you do it. That's sensational. We had a uh, group of guys in the show. Actually, I think you know them. Um, uh, switched. Now made um, uh, make my house green. And um, they talk so much about when they first created their very first MVP. It was just Tom in the background, <laughs> just making it work like manually. And that's how they tested it. That's how they tested it with people they knew and so forth. It's amazing how many people come on the show and you're absolutely right. The one consistent variable, and I say it to everyone I've invested in or anyone I work with is just speak to your fucking customers, mate. Just ask people if this is really something people want. Yep, we spoke to 1600 at Stakes. Yeah, you just got to fucking take it seriously. Yeah. And like, I, I think that almost straight away, you, you kind of become disqualified from, from talking about what customers want because as soon as you start, um, a startup, you you become unlike any of your customers, don't you? And so you, if you're if you're building something for you, then you're kind of building it for a, for a user base of one. So I, I agree. You know, I, yeah, that's why I think it's so important to get out there and, and and to to take on the discomfort. You know, so so many techies are we're introverts. I'm an introvert, and it's it's very uncomfortable to get out and, and speak to people. But it's it's probably the highest value thing you can do in the early days. I think. I think forever. I think you know, there's there's the one thing that never stops being valuable. Is speak to your customers. Mate, it's been great. Cheers. Thanks, Thanks, so, thanks so much for coming on.